0: Well, the passage that we've been looking at uh, for three weeks now, this is the third message in Galatians five sixteen to 26. It's, it's all about walking by the Spirit. Um, and last week, we saw that walking by the Spirit, Brent told us that if we're going to walk by the Spirit, it, it requires that we, we crucify or put to death the, the deeds and the desires of our selfish, sinful nature. Um, it was kind of a gruesome sermon. And uh, we're to, to, to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us, John Owen said. And so that was, that was last week. This week, I, I, it's much a sunnier, more enjoyable topic. We get to focus in on what the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And in verses 22 and 23, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, Paul's list here in these verses is not meant to be comprehensive. This isn't all the fruit of the Spirit. This is not an exhaustive list. There's so many things he could have added. He could have added thankfulness. That's a big theme in Paul's writings. Um, He could have added humility or perseverance. or He could have added uh, contentment. There are, are so many things. What about compassion? Um, there are other uh, fruit of the Spirit, but this is, so this isn't comprehensive, but we're going to look at these nine in particular this morning, and we want to look at these nine sort of in context, so I, I want to uh, look at the fruit of the Spirit with you really under three headings. We've got the root, and then we'll look at the fruit, and finally, I want us to look at the glory. So that's my outline, the root, the fruit, and the glory. Let's begin with the root. And to look at the root of this, we've really got to go back in the book of Galatians a little bit. Um, Earlier in Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said something about himself, which is true for every Christian. Here's what he said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, true faith, true faith unites us together with Christ in such a way that every believer ought to be able to say, we should say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I. I'm not on my own anymore. I have died with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ is now living in me. That's that's the testimony of every Christian. And this is the, the glorious uh, truth about what theologians call union with Christ. Union with Christ is so important because what Paul is saying here is that the Spirit has joined us with Christ so that we have died with him in his death and We have been raised to new life with him through his resurrection. We've talked about that earlier in Galatians. Romans 6 talks a lot about that. Ideas like this are sprinkled throughout the whole New Testament. We have died with Christ in his death. We have been raised with him to new life through his resurrection. This is our union with Christ. Our life, if you're a Christian here this morning, your life is in Christ, and Christ's life is in you. Now, we we shouldn't just take this on as new information. This ought to hit us hard. This ought to affect us. This ought to grip us, because this is our life. Without this, there's no fruit. There's no life. There's no hope. Paul and the whole New Testament teaches that the crucified, risen, reigning Lord of glory is himself living and dwelling in every believer by the Spirit. That's amazing. Christ isn't just with you. He's in you. This is what uh, theologian Marcus Johnson writes. To say that our union with Christ occurs by the power of the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is himself the bond who unites us to the living Christ. Christ sent the Spirit not so that we might have a roughly suitable replacement for his absence, but that we might enjoy the actual presence of Christ. The Spirit is the personal manner of Christ dwelling in us. And Jesus speaks about this connection, this this union with him, this vital connection with him. Jesus spoke about it using one of the most wonderful metaphors, the, the vine and the branches. He spoke about this in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Look at what he says. Abide in me, and I in you. Here's the thing. This is what Paul is drawing upon when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Apart from our union with Christ through the Spirit, no fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And it is the Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ who dwells in every believer. And so, that is vital to understand the root of our fruit. So what Paul is saying here is that this is the the vital connection. But what I don't want us to then assume is that then somehow the Spirit just automatically downloads fruitfulness into all of our lives. That's not what happens. The Spirit doesn't just zap us and make us instantly fruitful because of this union with Christ. The union with Christ is vital and necessary. We are completely dependent upon Christ and the Spirit. But here's the thing. We are also responsible. We also have a a vital role to play to cultivate and develop our fruitfulness. Paul brings together this idea of our dependence and our responsibility in a classic text in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 12 and 13... He instructs us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the responsibility for or but, it is, or because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the dependence. You hear them both there. And this tension is all over the Bible. We'll come back to our responsibility on my last point. But for now, what, I, what we need to know is that the fruit of the Spirit is rooted and grounded in our union with Christ. We won't bear fruit apart from Him. But we will bear much fruit if we abide in Him and He abides in us by His Spirit through faith. So that's That's the main thing we've got to know there. Now, secondly, my second point is the fruit that comes out of that union with Christ. That's what Paul is really listing here for us in verses 22 and 23. Take another look at it. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. See, what Paul is doing here, by describing the fruit of the Spirit, he's just describing the way that a Christian is conformed or transformed to become more like Jesus Christ. This is just the character of Christ that is being formed in us through our union with him by the Spirit. This is a a more detailed description of the kind of Christ-like character that will um, emerge and develop in the life of every Christian. So let's take a brief look at each of these Christ-like qualities. Paul tops his list with love. And that's because in Colossians 3.14, he says that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, elsewhere, Paul says that if we do not have love, we are nothing and we'll gain nothing. So, love is key. And the love that it, the Spirit produces in us is not that sort of emotional, uh, and infatuational uh, love that we see in Hollywood movies. Or in popular music. It's got nothing to do with that. Same word. Opposite meaning. Rather, Paul has given us, I think, the most wonderful description of love in the whole Bible. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 6. He says that love is patient. Now, husbands and wives, let this hit you children and parents, let this hit you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The love that the Bible presents for us, the love that the Spirit will produce in our lives, is a love that is not self-focused, it's a love that is others-focused. And it's a love that is willing to sacrifice for the ultimate good of others as God defines it. That's important. A lot of us will define what's good for us, but it isn't how God defines what is good for us. And so if we love others, we will sacrificially serve them. For their ultimate good as God has revealed it in his word. The supreme example of this, of course, is in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is God's love on fullest display for us to see. In Romans 5.8, it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. If you want to see a picture of God's love, we don't count all our blessings, um, the clothes and, and the car and the family and the health and the vacation. Those are not the things we look to. We look to Christ. There is the most definite, absolute, clear, unequivocal undeniable statement of God's great love toward us who did not deserve it. While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, God sent His Son to die for our sins. There's no greater demonstration of love. Why did He do that? Why did He sacrifice everything for our ultimate good? For his glory. Out of his mercy. Because apart from that. There was absolutely no hope for any of us. God be, Paul begins with love. Second on his list is joy. The spirit produces joy in our lives. That is not superficial or, or merely uh, circumstantial. It's not based on our situation. It's not the joy that comes from getting a promotion, or a, or a pay raise, or going on a vacation. The joy that the Spirit works in our lives is much deeper, much fuller, and much, much richer than that. One Bible commentator explains that joy is rooted in the pleasure of knowing God of experiencing the friendship of the Holy Spirit, of being assured of one's place in God's people and God's good future. This joy that we have as believers through the gospel, it's just a foretaste. When I came to Christ, that was when I discovered the true meaning of joy. I had heard the word, I had used it on occasion, But I did not know what it meant. But that joy that erupted in my heart when I came to Christ is just a foretaste. It's a foretaste of the the much greater, fuller, richer, ever-increasing joy that we will know when we see the Savior face to face at the end of the age. This is just a foreto- or foretaste. And it's a joy that circumstances, troubles, trials, setbacks, disappointments, inconveniences, frustrations, it's a joy that none of that can take away from us. Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 6 talked about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This is a joy that isn't just a, a, a yellow happy face sticker on the back of a car. Honestly, happy, cat, clappy Christians. It's, this is coming from a much deeper place. It, it's it's got to be by the Spirit. And we, it will not be taken away from us. Because circumstances and situations turn difficult. Get difficult third we have peace jesus is called the prince of peace and romans 5 1 tells us that through our faith in him we have not that we will have but that we have now presently we have peace with god through jesus christ amen this is such good news i We use the word peace. Again, I I thought I knew it until I met Jesus. Um, We need, you need, we all need this peace. Because we are living in such an anxious, angsty, restless age. Christians need to be a people of peace. Of deep and abiding peace in the middle of this crazy world. We experience this peace as we put our confidence, our trust, our hope in the sovereign Lord of everything. We trust that he is wiser than us. We trust that he knows the end from the beginning and he is working and ordering all things well. We can, we can put our eggs in his basket. We don't have to try to micromanage and, and understand every moving part and every detail because you and I are not that good. No one is. Peace is a very big deal for Christians. Let me give you just a sampling. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. In Romans 12:18 we read as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. Romans 14:19 says make every effort to do what leads to peace. In Colossians 3:15 it says let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to make every effort to live at peace with all men. And in 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11, it says, Whoever would love life and see good days must seek peace and pursue it. Peace is is a big deal for Christians. Fourth on the list is patience. (laughs) Spirit-empowered patience is more than just being able to drive in Vancouver traffic or wait in line for a coffee at Starbucks or listen to a long sermon. It's much more than that. This is about the supernatural ability. It's about the supernatural ability to, to stay in the game, to stay with it, to stay engaged in the face of troubles, disappointments, all the things I said. Inconveniences, setbacks, without becoming cynical, without becoming resentful, and without becoming self-righteous. We must be a patient People And naturally, this one really speaks to me because on my own, I am not patient. I am one of the most impatient people I know. So I'm preaching to myself this morning. But one of the things that I've done, and I I commend this to you, um, I focus a lot on how unfathomably patient god has been toward me and how it's hard to comprehend how how patient the father is toward me every day i consider that before i came to christ and i lived in open rebellion against god like no one would have mistaken me for a christian <laughs> And I lived my life in rebellion against God. And I I reflect upon how I was under His wrath. And He withheld it. He patiently put up with me. Until eventually, I came to the end of myself. And I bowed the knee. I submitted my life to Christ. I, I treasure the patience of God toward me and it's changed it really has changed the way I am working at being more patient with others please be patient with me <laughs> i'm really growing i'm i'm not what i once was but i'm not yet what i will be and that's the truth of every christian Patience is important. In, in Ephesians 4, Paul puts patience right in the middle of this passage about the church. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Patience. We've got to be patient with each other. There's, there's so much little... It, it hang out with me any, for any length of time. There will be little things that will annoy you. <laughs> Just ask my wife and my kids. And it really amazes me. I, I mean, honestly, and I'm not... I'm amazed at the patience of my wife. That can, I can only recognize that as the grace of God. And it is. Um... And I, I, I think that we should reflect a lot on the patience of God toward us and the patience of others toward us. And that, I believe, will make us patient, more patient toward one another. Next, Paul includes kindness. This isn't the kindness of your sweet Aunt Mabel. This is the kindness, as David De Silva says, the kindness that helps the other person to feel love's touch. This is a very practical kindness. This is a kindness that comes from a place of deep security in Christ, but also a deep vulnerability and an empathy on our part. This isn't just the, you know, the smiley, quiet person. This is a kindness. Um, And I could give examples. I don't want to embarrass. There have been great acts of kindness just in the past few weeks from members of this church from one to another. People in difficult situations that needed to help, and and without anybody knowing, just expressions of care and kindness have been shown all the time. So encouraged, let's let's be kind people, and that's that's not just the friendliness. That's that goes deeper. Sixth, we come to goodness. This word. It's deeper than just being good. Uh, it carries with it the idea of integrity, of, of honesty, of transparency. The, the fruit of goodness in our lives means that we are the same person in one situation as we are in another. We're the same person in public. That we are in private. We're the same person. We give the same face to one group of people. That we give to another group of people. We're not chameleons. We're not always changing our stripes. And our colors. We're not one person. With our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we're a completely different person. When we're with. um, Our colleagues at work. We're. This is deep goodness seventh is faithfulness this goes beyond just showing up on time for an appointment faithfulness is about loyalty faithfulness is about courage and commitment and reliability faithfulness is about being people of our word the lord's covenant faithfulness to his promises is your only hope this morning my only hope And this should motivate us and and move us to pursue an expression of faithfulness to one another. Here, let me say this. Our faithfulness to each other in the church is an expression, a vital expression of our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I, there's, there's really not much stock in saying that we love and are committed to being faithful to Jesus and then not honor any of our commitments or our faithfulness to our brothers and sisters. This is a big one. The church will be tried on the issue of faithfulness, uh, this past week I heard about a brother in the ministry from about seven or eight years ago, would have considered him a solid guy. Just veered off, family, life, ministry. It's heartbreaking. This doesn't the, the spirit doesn't doesn't download this into us. We have to be a faithful people to work at it to strive for it, to pray desperately about it. Number eight is gentleness. The gentleness produced by the Spirit is not about being all Zen and in touch with nature. In fact, in the very next verse of Galatians, we have a great example of gentleness. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Again, I'm, I'm not naturally a gentle person. I'm a bit brash and abrasive at times. And yet, I have reflected a lot on how unbelievably gentle the Lord has been with me. And it has softened me. It has taken away some of those edges and those, those sharp prickly points pray for me. <laughs> Finally, we have self-control. Self-control is about the habit of actively surrendering our will and our works to the will of God revealed in the scriptures. It's, it's an active habit that we are developing in our lives to submit our lives completely to the revealed will of God in the Bible. It's without self-control. It's a little bit like filling a paper grocery bag that's wet on the bottom, filling it up to the top with, with tins of soup. Without self-control, you're not going to get very far. It's all going to end up on the floor. All of the, the fruit of the Spirit without self-control is just, it's just going to, we're going to gut it. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter one five to eight how self-control is sort of if you take self-control the whole thing falls apart here he says in chapter one verses five to eight make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we go to the final point, I just want to two things quickly. I, I can imagine someone hearing a message on the fruit of the Spirit like this and kind of thinking, well, you know, that's all, that's all, there's nothing special about any of this. It all just seems so, so ordinary. And that's true. You know, gentleness, self-control, love, peace. These, these aren't flashy. There's nothing spectacular. But that does not mean that this is not supernatural. It may not be flashy and spectacular, but this is deeply dependent upon the supernatural working of the risen Christ dwelling in our lives by his spirit. And if you, if you don't believe me, just go try and live it out. Go try and be the person that Paul is describing here in verses 22 and 23. I bet you can't do it for 24 hours. Just try and do it all on your own. It's amazing. when I, It's patience. I, I pray about patience. And then the traffic, it seems like it gets busier and slower. And then I discover that I'm maybe not as far along in my patience as I hope the Spirit had brought me. I mean, it's little things like that. Apart from the the active enabling of God's Spirit every day through my connection with Christ, none of this is possible, and it's not possible for you either. If you go and try and do this without Him, then you'll discover how desperately you need Christ and his forgiveness and the Spirit to help you. And that brings me to my next point. I think often we're tempted, we read a list like that, we're often tempted to to sort of accept um, superficial sentimental substitutes. And that's not that's not the real thing. We need what only the Spirit can produce in our lives. And one way we can find out if the fruit of the Spirit is genuine in our lives is by seeing how we respond when the circumstances are less than favorable. When we're walking through trials. When we're feeling pressured to compromise our commitment to God's Word. And if we're loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled, even when the circumstances are not easy or going our way, and then I think we have real reason to trust that the Spirit of God is at work in my life. Now with that, let's look at the final point briefly. Paul says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The ultimate purpose, the ultimate role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate goal as he works in our lives. And therefore, we need to be committed to faithfully following him where he is taking us and how he is leading us. We need to keep in step with him. So how do we do that? How do we... How do we fulfill that? Well, there are a number of things. Brent touched on some of them last week. There's one main thing, though, that I think if we're missing, it doesn't matter what else we get. And the main thing is what I'm calling here the glory. Specifically, I'm thinking about what Paul says is the role of the Holy Spirit in Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Let me read it for you. Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now this is really one of my favorite texts. It's, it's played an important guiding role in my life as I've sought to follow Jesus. Because Paul tells me here, and this is what I aim for every day. Paul tells me here that the Spirit is at work in my life to show me, to reveal to me the glory of Christ. And when we focus long and And hard on the revelation. Of Jesus Christ. In the scriptures. And we begin to discern. The spirit begins to open our eyes. And we begin to see. And we begin to savor. His majesty. His authority. His beauty. His significance. His lordship over everything. Then. Then. My heart, I pray your heart, is gripped. It's delighted. It's awed. It's amazed. And without that, quite frankly, I don't want to go anywhere. I want what I am created for. You ought to want what you are created for. We are created to behold, to enjoy, to savor the the glory of God. All the other things that distract us, all the other things that we fall in love with and fall out of love with, those are just reflected glories and we're mistaking them for the real thing. We are made for the glory of God. All of us are hungry for the glory of God. And I need to see and savor and enjoy and delight in the glory of God revealed to me in the face of Christ. So I need to see it here. It's not faithfully found anywhere else but in the words of Scripture. And that's job number one, for the Spirit in my heart. So Christ City, let me encourage you this morning, don't fall out of step with the Spirit. Devote yourself to the Word of God, to seeing the glory of God revealed in it in the person and the work and the authority and the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. I have all sorts of places I go to when I'm having trouble seeing it and I go to those texts and I meditate upon those texts because job number one for me is, Lord, show me your glory. If I'm going to get through this day, I need your glory to carry me there. Gaze upon the revelation of Christ in the Bible. Read and pray and seek Until your heart is deeply affected. Until you love him and are so devoted to him that you would gladly crucify every sinful and selfish desire just to make more room in your life for his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness and his self-control. Let's pray. Father, would you give us the grace. I pray again that these would not be things we merely, thoughts we entertain in our minds. Pray that by your spirit, you would move what Paul is saying here in Galatians and move what I've tried to preach about this morning, move it into our hearts and affect us. May we be a people who are hungry, For more of your glory, may we seek after you and submit to you. Put away um, our selfish desires and cultivate the work of your spirit more fully in our lives so that we will reflect the character of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver,